We're going to be reading out of Colossians chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 18. We're going to go to chapter 4, verse 1. Um, I believe this is our seventh message on the, on the uh, book of Colossians. Um, I, last week my brother came and he spoke to you on that just previous passage, going through 317. And um, kind of the focus of that passage, just a quick review, was uh, unity and love um, in the church and how we're, we're to treat each other in the church as um, Christ's body. And a good uh, summary passage is chapter 3, verse 14. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So we talked kind of about unity um, and love in the church and, and how we're to relate to one another in the church. And Paul continues that theme in verses, um, but he changes the focus, okay? So the theme is still um, going on with love and unity in Christ, being one in Christ. But the focus is no longer in the local church assembly, but now he's talking more specifically about how we behave um, with one another in the family and in the household, and also how we behave um, in the workplace and in our, in our professional lives. So we'll go ahead and go through that. Let's go ahead and pray, and then I'll read the text for us. God, I pray that as we come to your word, um, that every knee would be bowed to it, and every heart would be bowed before you as our authority. I pray that no one in here, God, would just look at this as another ancient text or another um, textbook that's not alive, God, but that we would see it as the living word that rules over um, us as believers. I pray that we would come to it humbly, knowing that we may not know everything about this, God, and just wanting to learn, wanting to uh, grow closer to you and grow more like your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. If you, uh, everybody get one of those handouts? Anybody not get one? We got one up here we need. You got an extra one, Gabe? Okay. Put your hand up. Gabe's coming out for you. Perfect. We'll start on point one there on your handout. Honor Christ in the household. Honor Christ in the household. In the spirit of love which Paul has just described, he now presents more specific instructions toward personal relationships among believers. He starts with wives who are called to submit to their husbands God-given authority over them and their household. This means that women are to lovingly and reverently support and respect their partners, even through disagreements or other difficulties. This is not unquestioning obedience. The wife is not called to be a mindless slave, but rather a respectful, loving, joyful partner to her mate. I'm going to go ahead and go to that passage in Ephesians. 
Paul kind of um, gives the same point there in Ephesians chapter 5, but he goes uh, a little bit more in depth. So I'm going to go there, Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is him's and is Himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What is the analogy that is being presented there? Paul says that the relationship between the husband and the wife is like the relationship between the church and Christ. It's an earthly picture um, that, that God has given to us that we can kind of have an idea of how the church is supposed to relate to Christ. So what is the calling for women in here today? What is the calling for wives in here today? If you're married, respect and honor your husband in the same way that you honor Christ. That's a pretty high calling, okay? We may honor um, certain people in our lives. You may honor a parent or a grandparent. You may honor um, public figures. We may honor celebrities. There's a lot of people in our culture that receive honor. But Jesus Christ deserves more honor than any of those people. And what Paul says here is that your attitude as a wife towards your husband should be the same as your attitude towards Christ. Okay? We should, as wives should um, serve and honor their husbands in the same way that they would serve Christ with that same passion and attitude. This is a pretty unpopular doctrine today. Okay? If I went to the street corner here at a, where is this arrow, wherever arrow is, and Grant and I held up a sign that had this verse on it, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. I, I think I would get some response, but I don't think, it would be, I don't think people would be throwing flowers at me. Um, they would be telling me I'm, I'm number one with their middle finger. is, is probably the, the, um, the response that I would get for the most part. Um, but the problem is that in the American culture, we have this concept of, um, of husbands as authorities, that isn't fair to how the Bible describes it, okay? We, we watch sitcoms, we watch um, television shows, and, and the husband's always uh, kind of the guy who comes and he sits on the couch and he watches football and he says, you know, woman, get me my food, get me my meat, and I want my steak, All right? That's not the idea of authority that, that um, Paul presents here in the Scriptures, okay? Ed is surprised. Ed, Ed's been living his life wrong this whole time. Uh, <laughs> I saw that surprised face that she gave me. Um, that, that is not the idea that, that Paul had in mind here. Okay? Husbands are not um, supposed to be dictators over their wives. They're not supposed to be sitting on the couch, barking orders, get me this and get me that. And as we're going to see in a second, the husband actually has a much higher and much harder calling than that as the head of the household. Paul does not have that in mind here. That's an abuse of this system. That's an abuse that springs out of this. That's kind of a stereotype in our culture. See, in any time that we kind of look into our culture and see how something is played out, we need to compare that to what the Scripture actually says about it. We need to compare it. We need to always go back to the Bible and see what the Bible has actually said about this. Amen. The word that's used here is not obey. Okay, In the Greek, the word that Paul uses is not the word for obey. He doesn't use the word for obey as, as a dog would obey its master or maybe as a child would obey its parents. But instead, he uses the word for submit. It's an idea of respect. It's an idea, it's an idea of um, honoring uh, the husband. Let me give you an example. My wife and I make a lot of uh, day-to-day decisions. Every day, what are we going to spend our money on? What are we going to do tonight? 
um, what are we going to eat tonight, right? And I don't expect my wife to, to um, call me at every minute of the day. Is it okay? Can I get your approval to do this? Is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if, I, if we have this tonight? Now, sometimes she might ask me for help or, or advice on a certain area, but I, I don't have to micromanage every little thing that she does because I trust her, because I trust the things that she does, and I trust that she's going to make decisions that honor Christ um, and, and decisions that are good for our household. On the other hand, she's not going to go out and just do something crazy, and, she, and, and I come home and there's a Corvette in our, in our driveway, and I say, what, you know, what's this? Well, you know, I, I didn't have to run anything by you, so I went ahead and bought this car. Right? This, uh, on the other side of the coin, she can't just um, go off and, and make these huge decisions without um, consulting one another in that way um, because of that respect and honor that wives are to have um, for their husbands. So women in here today, you are called to submit to your husband's God-given authority over your household. That doesn't mean that um, your husband sits there and barks orders at you and you are to, to do everything without questioning. You are to be um, in a partnership. You are to be in a partnership with your husband helping um, manage the household. So the husbands in here that are now sitting and smiling, yes, submit. I like this. They like this verse, but I, unfortunately, I'm not going to skip uh, the next verse for you guys. Um, God has some harsher words for the men in here. Going back to your uh, uh, handout. But wait, husbands are not off the hook. Darn it. In fact, the man's calling is even higher as he is to love his wife, not selfishly, but sacrificially. As Christ died for the church, so the husband is called to daily die to his selfish desires to serve the wife and cultivate her holiness. This is a far cry from the domineering, dictatorship-like control many Christian men exercise over their homes. The husband's love gives the church one of the most vibrant and living examples of how Christ loves and leads his people. The wife is called to submit. So what is the husband's position in that? What's the husband's role in a Christ-centered marriage? His duty, what, call, what Paul calls them to do, what God calls us to do as men, um, as husbands, is to love our wives. Men of God, are you loving your wife today? Do you truly love your wife? You see, maybe if you were here for the last sermon, you, you kind of looked at this idea of love and unity in the church, and you said, okay, that's easy. I can come to church and I can love the people around me, and I can smile, and I can, I can have a conversation with another believer. It's a lot harder to love when you are called to love your family on a day-to-day basis, the people that you live with 24-7, all year long, right? It's easy to love out in public. It's hard to love behind closed doors. It's easy to answer yes to that question if we have a self-centered definition of love. If we look at Hollywood, we look at Hollywood's definition of love, and we say, yeah, I can do that. I can, I can be selfish. I can be self-centered. I can, I can see what can I get out of this relationship. Um, and then it, it, if my wife gets a little something out, out of it, that's good too. But how about selfless love? How about the love that the Bible calls us to? I'm going to go back to that passage in Ephesians. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh-oh. That's not the uh, Hollywood definition of love. He gave himself up for her. What does that mean? That means that Christ died for the church. Husbands, this is the love that you are called to, to die for your family. 
verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. When's the last time you watched a TV show and this was the husband's attitude? This was the husband's um, actions for his family. Not, probably not recently. Okay, the husband's always the, the lazy, you know, Al Bundy, Tim, Tim Allen, Tim Taylor guy who sits on the couch and, 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 and messes things up, right? The biblical picture, picture is much, much different, okay? We are called to give up our lives for our families. Verse 25, love your wives as Christ gave the church and gave himself up for you. Would you die for your family? Because that is what God is calling you to do. More importantly, and probably more applicational for most of us, would you die daily? Do you die daily for your family? When you get home from work, and you're tired, and you're exhausted, and you want to sit on the couch, and, and that college football game is, is on TV, or that college basketball is in March Madness right now, the college basketball game is on TV, and you get home and you just, want to, you just want to sit down and watch it, but your wife needs your attention. You haven't talked to your wife all day. You haven't played with your kids all day. At that moment, you are being called to give yourself up for your family, to die for your family. See, not, not a lot of times, most of us aren't going to, be, aren't going to call, be called to actually die for our family. It might happen, but probably for the majority of us, someone's not going to come hold a gun to our heads this week and say, um, it's you or your wife. And most of us would know what the right answer is in that situation. It's a lot harder day in, day out to simply be dying to our own selfish desires for our family. So husbands, that's our calling. Not self-centered love, but selfless love that dies to itself. Going back to the outline. Children are to obey both their parents for the purpose of pleasing God. Where's Emmett? Is he not in here? We need to get Emmett in here. Emmett is my, my son. And I, I wish he could be here. I wish he could start to... He's starting to understand words and little phrases, but I wish he could understand what I'm about to say. Children need to um, obey their parents. This does not come naturally to children, okay? This does not come naturally to people. You don't have to, you don't have to teach children how to disobey, Okay, my, my sleeve right here is it's a little wet. It's, it's just about drying off. Um, but I walked in, and, and Emmett's walking by these sprinklers, and they're shooting off. And, and Emmett walks up, and he says, wah-wah, wah-wah. I'm like, no, don't, please don't go in the, in, in the wah-wah. We don't want you to touch the wah-wah. And he just, wah-wah. And he's just single-track mind. That's what he wants to do. He knows I don't want him to do it, but he's looking at it. That's what he wants to do. So he, so he just... Uh, yeah, and, and my kid is, is, is going to be a sprinter someday because he's standing there and, and, and I'm, I'm probably a foot away from him and all of a sudden he's just, I'm, I look and then I look back and he's running into the sprinkler. So I got to reach out and grab him. He gets hit by the water. He's like, yeah. And I got to reach out and grab him and now my, my, my sleeve was all wet when I was walking in here. Okay, you, I, we don't, I didn't teach him how to disobey. I didn't teach my son. I didn't sit down and give him lessons on how to disobey his parents. This is our sinful nature. Okay, kids are born this way. We were all born this way with a uh, proclivity to run away from God, to run away from um, our parents. 
Let me read a few passages from the book of Romans that shows us this. Romans 3.11, No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, we were not born with a blank slate. We were not born um, kind of these, these amoral creatures that eventually chose good or chose evil. Okay, we were born in sin because our father Adam sinned. We don't have to cheat, teach children how to disobey. Children must make a choice to follow God, to um, give glory and honor to God in um, obeying their parents. Proverbs 6, 20-22, My son... Keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. God will put his protection on children who obey their parents. It's also interesting to me, if we go back to that verse in Colossians, um, it's interesting to me the purpose for all of this, okay? We're not called to obey our parents because our parents are so awesome, okay? Hus- uh, wives aren't called to submit to their husbands because their husbands are awesome guys, okay? That's never the reason that's given here. Verse 20 of Colossians 3, Children, obey your parents in everything. For what? For this pleases the Lord. Okay, the reason that children are called to obey their parents is because this glorifies God. This brings honor to God. The purpose for um, loving our families and for obeying in the correct biblical way, for um, submitting to one another, is all um, to glorify God. We do all of this for Jesus Christ. Going back to your outline. Finally, lest they try to abuse the Christian attitude of obedience that children are called to, parents are to be kind, loving, and gracious to their children, just as God our Father forgives and bestows grace upon us. Parents, are you harsh with your children? Are you harsh with your children just because you can be? Or because it's easier? Okay? Or, or, or because, um, because you're selfish in that way? Because you're not doing it for their interests, but for your own interests. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You, God did not give you children to be personal servants, Okay? Children should help around the house, but ultimately God entrusted you with your children so that you could point them back to Him, so you could raise children who would glorify God. It all goes back to glorifying and honoring God in the household. The focus of godly parenting is to set children on the right path. Number two on your outline, honor Christ in the workplace, verses 22 through uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Slavery was common in the ancient world. However, it was often different from the enslavement of Africans in the South, which dominates our conception of the word today. While Paul does not necessarily condone slavery, he does instruct anyone currently in such a situation to be respectful of the masters God has placed over them. We can extrapolate this to a broader application for us Christians. While we cannot always change the political situation, we can always serve the Lord diligently becoming an example for the unbelievers in our midst. While the mainstream culture makes light of work and those who slack off on the job, the Bible calls us to a higher standard. We are to work as hard for the boss from 9 to 5 as we would for Jesus Christ himself. 
the motivation for this is great rewards in heaven from our Savior. Um, if you watch TV shows, if you watch maybe the news, um, if you read articles, this is kind of this is one of the big attacks on the Bible. This is one of the things they'll always say. If you bring out a biblical point on um, on another subject, um, and you're trying to to tell somebody what the biblical teaching is on something, people will always throw this in your face. Well, the Bible the Bible supports slavery. The Bible is out of date. You see, the Bible uh, these the people who wrote the Bible weren't as enlightened as, as we are today. Today we know so much more. So the Bible's position on slavery is always controversial to us. The problem is that we have a concept of slavery that stems from the African slave trade dating back to the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s that wasn't the same in the ancient world. Okay? Slavery was not something that was racist and as cruel and harsh, totally evil institution that it was in the South. Um, in, in our country, and that's kind of a, a stain in our nation's past. So we've, we've, we've totally rejected that. Anytime anybody says slavery, we just totally hate that because it was so evil in the application um, in America in the past. Well, slavery was more of a financial tra- transaction in the ancient world. Okay, um, uh, People in here who have credit card debt, you don't have to raise your hands. People in here who have credit card debt, um, in, in the ancient world, if you went and got your Best Buy credit card and you racked up six grand in debt and you couldn't pay it back, you couldn't just declare bankruptcy or get, a, um, get, get somebody to settle and kind of settle for only paying half, okay? If you couldn't pay back that credit card, um, the creditor would, would um, take you over as a slave and you would work for them until you had paid back um, what you owed. So it was kind of a way to, to get justice for the creditor because they said, hey, I'm out $6,000. I need this person to work for me. Um, now, obviously, there's some evil there in, in owner, owning another person. There's problems. There's difficulties. And God built a lot of safeguards in um, to the Old Testament, the old Mosaic law, in order to protect against abuses. Okay? So it wasn't an entirely great institution. It wasn't this perfect institution. But it wasn't exactly the kind of the racist uh, hate-filled, hate-filled, cruel idea that we have in America. Okay, it was more of a financial transaction. However, even in light of the abuses, Paul encourages any Christians, any Christians who are currently in that situation, to live that situation to the glory of God. This is huge to me. I, I think this is such a such a big focus in the Bible. We're not called to always um, try to change our political situation. Now, I know probably most of you in here vote. Most of you in here, maybe some of you have campaigned for a cause. Um, And that's great. And that's good. And that's something as Christians that we should be actively involved in. But remember, we're not always going to win, okay? We're not always going to get every law passed that we want passed. What God calls us to then, if we can't change the situation, God calls us to live that situation to His glory, to turn it around so that people will say, look at that person. He's in such a horrible situation. He's a slave. Or he's got a horrible job. He, he, he's got to work 12 hours a day and he gets paid you know, $8 an hour or whatever it is. Um, and yet that person is living joyfully for the glory of God. So we turn that situation around for God's glory. Amen. It's kind of hard to apply this, this slavery to us today because we don't have that institution in America today. Um, kind of the obvious um, correlation would be um, the workplace. Those of us who, who work for bosses, who work for our masters in the workplace, are we working for the Lord? 
Are we giving our company 100%? Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Again, not working for our bosses. We're not giving everything for our bosses because our bosses are awesome people or because our company is perfect. We're giving everything for our bosses and our company because the Lord deserves it. We're doing it for the Lord so that people can look at you and say, man, this guy really works hard. This guy is, is diligent. And while I'm slacking off, what is different about this person? And that's where you can say, I'm doing it for Jesus. I'm doing it for Jesus Christ. I have this verse and a, a little post-it note up on my monitor at work. And, and, and this kind of helps remind me if I want to slack off, if I want to just browse the internet and zone out instead of do what I'm supposed to do. That's a reminder for me. That kind of kicks me in the pants and says, you know, get going, work hard, work diligently because you're working for Jesus Christ. At the end of your life, your boss isn't going to be standing there at the judgment seat judging you. Okay? Your boss isn't going to be standing there. But Paul takes it out of that and says, Jesus Christ will be judging you. You're working for him. In verse 25, Paul gravely warns those who are not diligent for their earthly masters or perhaps their employers. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Last time I was here, we talked about God's wrath. Those of us who have not accepted Jesus Christ, who have not believed in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice, God's wrath rests on their heads. And yet, God has forgiven the sins. God has already taken the punishment in His Son, Jesus Christ, for those of us who believe. God has already poured out His wrath upon His Son for that, for those of us who believe. You will not get away with your sin. Okay? If, you, if you're embezzling from your company, if you're stealing from your company, if you're taking property, if you're taking time, if you're not giving your all, you're not going to get away with it. Okay? You may get caught in this life. You may not get caught in this life. Okay? Either way, judgment will come. Either judgment's been poured upon Christ if you believed in Him, or judgment will be poured upon, out upon you if you have not accepted that sacrifice. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For those of us who believe in Jesus, for Christians in here, there's no judgment awaiting us. There's no punishment awaiting us. It's been taken away already on the cross. Yet, there still may be some earthly punishment for those of us who do not work diligently. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers food in the harvest, this is talk, I'm starting in verse 8. This is talking about the, uh, the ants. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? This is the part I want to get to. Verse 10 and 11. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A little folding of the hands, a little laziness at work. I mean, we all know how the economy is right now, right? A person who's slacking off even just a little bit will let you go. They don't have room for that anymore. We don't, they don't have room and they don't have slack for people to be slacking off. And that's what the Bible tells us. There may be natural consequences for those of us who are not giving our all. A little bit of laziness. I'll just sleep in this one time. This is my weakness. I, I, I sleep in. <laughs> I'll just sleep in just this one time. And it says... Just a little bit of that. If you kind of let that get a foothold in your life, and poverty will come, come upon you like that, like a thief. Amen. Let's take a look at our final verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. 
Paul's not letting anyone off easy. See, the masters of the slaves at this time, they were, they were grinning. Yeah, slaves have to obey us. Slaves have to honor us. Paul says, no, you treat your slaves justly. You treat them fairly. This is important to keep in mind. Any of us, if any of us in here own a business, if any of us manage people, if you have people working underneath you at work, treat them fairly and justly as you would want to be treated. Let's close with Ephesians 5, verses 20 through 21. Just got a few minutes left. Ephesians 5, verses 20 through 21. This kind of sums up the, the idea of unity in the household and the workplace. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The whole spirit of submission is what we should all have in our families and in our homes. We should all have that spirit of Respect and honor and submission for one another. Not because each other are, are so great. Not because your, your family is so awesome. Or because they deserve to be treated that way. But because God deserves it. Because God has required it. Yield to each other's desires. Treat everyone more important than yourself. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you um, for your word. We thank you for giving us order. Giving us instruction on how to behave in the household how to behave in our professional lives, God. I pray that um, you would forgive the sin of those of us who have slacked off at work, those of us who have ignored the order that you've called us to in the household. I pray that you would help us to strive um, to more faithfully model the biblical example of this, God. I pray that as we close in our final song, that if any in here need you, God, that you would move their hearts to just pray to you, to call out to you. Um, to change their lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.